Caffeine Rage. On today's show, we will, of course, be discussing the games that we've played, or stuff that we've done, I suppose, in your case. Uh, Germany is to consider loot boxes in ratings going forward. Valve announces an end to artifact development. We'll be having a weekly community corner with another submission this week. Uh, How video games will look in 2021, which is an article written from like 10 years ago. And finally, if time allows, which I probably will this week, we will have a Steam Discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. With a weird, <clears throat> random thing that won't make sense until, like, I don't know, a month from now, whenever the Franken episode comes out. No, it, it still won't make sense. You're right. It won't. That's fine. I, much like us. It won't make I, sense. I don't worry about it. You shouldn't either. Because reasons. I don't know. What's up? Uh, well, not much right now because yeah, you know, we've been you know definitely not talking for you know almost an hour. Definitely not. No, I'm definitely not hungry. There definitely weren't any conversations about food again, again, and there definitely weren't any history lessons to be had. And definitely no busted up ankles. Definitely no busted up ankles. So uh, how about something that uh, definitely happened? Okay, what definitely happened? So, a while back you sent me your old Steam controller, not really enjoying it. And since I'm still in the process of performing surgery, and I'll talk about that next week on my primary controller, I finally spent the time to really get a feel for the Steam controller, and actually download some uh, software that makes it a lot more usable. So, for those who don't no, Valve pro- produced a controller for, what was it, three, four years? Yeah. And just discontinued it, uh, I think it was late 2019. And it's uh, something that's kind of irked me, with the exception of Nintendo doing their own weird thing. And even in that case, it's not completely their own thing anymore. Uh, controllers have got, become very, very, very standardized. You have... Two thumbsticks, four face buttons, a set of triggers, a set of shoulder buttons, a and a D-pad. And Valve tried to break the mold a bit, and they went through a very exhaustive process trying to come up with something different. And in a way, a little too different to be really easily usable. So the Steam Controller, it replaces the D-pad and one of the joysticks with touchpads. Uh, sort of like how the... Dual, uh, the DualShock 4 and 5 has. Uh, does the, does the uh, DualSense uh, have a, a touchpad on it, now that I think about it? I have no idea. I'm not I sure, think so. actually. Uh, but anyway, uh, which uh, are programmable, the, uh, they added a, a standardized uh, pair of uh, rear uh, uh, paddles uh, for additional uh, buttons, and it made everything programmable. And... Because my main controller is out of action, I spent a lot of time with it this week, mostly doing uh, racing and Wreckfest in Forza. And to get them to work in anything that's not native Steam was a hassle. (laughs) 
because it's a Steam controller, so it's going to run through the Steam software. And where I've been doing a lot of my game pad focused gaming lately has been through Game Pass games, which are their own thing. They're not EXE files, so they're not easily portable into Steam. And even then, the Steam controller has issue with certain games because of the way the game boots up. Uh, I, I actually did a fair amount of research going into this, just what... Uh, causes uh, some of this and some of it is literally just uh, the steam controller latches onto one process but the game is running on a second process or uh, games with launchers typically have issues that sort of thing so there's a fan project uh called the global steam controller uh gl uh g-l-o-s-c which tries to resolve a good portion of the issues the Steam controller has, making it a global controller like most plug-and-play controllers have. And the way they do it is actually pretty ingenious. So they use an X input, essentially the uh, the Windows default uh, Xbox-style controller uh, inputs, which the Steam controller definitely supports. I mean, it has the A, uh, A B, X, uh, Y uh, buttons right there on the faceplate. And uses a secondary controller to work through a uh, to, as a global controller and the steam controller hooks into an invisible window that's an overlay so that it can work on non-steam games particularly game pass games or you play games which also have historic issues with uh, the steam controller from my research so yeah it took quite a while to get this working like i wanted it and I realize probably going way into the deep end more than you did, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I used it for a while. I, I liked it for a few things, but generally I found it more of a hassle than it was. Uh, I, I'm, been- I'm conflicted on it. And I think part of it, and this is going to sound so petty, is the finish on it. It makes it feel cheap. And I'm talking about like the the smooth surface on the front of it. It just it's just a certain quality of plastic that makes it feel off and I'm not sure exactly what it is because it's definitely weighty enough which has been kind of an issue with some controllers I've played with uh, ages ago is you'll get a controller that you know you, you have a certain expectation of a certain amount of weight with a controller and if it if it feels too light it feels cheap because of it and I think it just might be plastic or you know the type of plastic they use that makes it feel off in my hand, but uh, for racing games, it's actually pretty good, in my opinion. Especially since you could go into the controls and change, uh, like, uh, the linearity of the triggers, which is a lot easier to do in this than with the the software I used for my DualShock. Uh, you could uh, affect the dead zone a little bit easier. You could uh, do some things in the software uh, easier than I can uh, otherwise. While I still can do it in the other software, it's more streamlined. The problem is, in my opinion, that right uh, touchpad. So, if you think of uh, the, let's just pick a controller almost at random. How about the the PC gaming standard Xbox controller? Okay. So the D pad <laughs> is essentially one touchpad, and where the face buttons would be for any 
other controller, including Nintendo's Pro Controller, which is essentially, you know, the same style of controller, they replaced it with a touchpad and moved the X, Y, AB buttons down to where the right, uh, uh, where the right thumbstick would be on the, uh, or actually on either of the controllers, uh, uh, on Xbox or PlayStation. The problem with this is if you have anything that needs to use the touch or use those face buttons, uh, maybe it's just because I have, I might have short stubby, uh, uh, thumbs, I keep clipping the touchpad. So if I'm trying to do something like uh, uh, resetting my uh, position or uh, trying to bring up uh, uh, the leaderboard or uh, I'm focusing mostly on racing because that's what I've been doing lately or anything like that or changing the camera view, I hit that uh the, uh, that touchpad and it changes my view for a split second and it's very disorienting. <laughs> yeah, it it did. Uh, that was something that I ran into as well. And I don't, I don't know. I don't think I have short stubby thumbs. Maybe I do, but um, you have to do more of a lift than a slide. Yeah, you have to you know reprogram your brain on how you use stuff. And I mean that's something that you can do. Like I'm not saying that that you can't. But I, I just didn't go through the hassle of doing it. Yeah, and you it. also have to reach a lot further in to reach the uh, the one thumbstick that they have compared to the DualShock. It's just, look at the geometry of it. It's because of how the handle has this raised lip on it. So it uh, goes up and then dips down into the body of the controller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, for some reason, it gets in the way with, uh, at least for... My hand, so I have to kind of reach up and over that, and that adds yeah a little bit of extra reach, and you're already reaching pretty far into the controller already. I do say I do think it is a good controller, and it has a lot of versatility to it, particularly for games that do not have native support. Uh, but it just feels like you know it's a little half baked. I do like the fact that it has the rear uh, uh the rear buttons on it. And I actually remapped uh, changing gears to that. And after you know getting over the muscle memory, uh, it was actually a lot more enjoyable than uh, trying to use the face buttons. Because obviously, right? Yeah. <laughs> I could only imagine somebody trying to play a fighting game on this, though. That, that that's uh, that's the handicap controller, right? <laughs> I mean, you you say that, and I get it. But I 100% believe that that someone loves that as their favorite controller oh, for probably. fighting games and is amazing at Probably, uh, particularly if uh, they could set it up the touchpad to do uh, uh, combos or to be able to quickly hit different uh, uh, buttons r- rather quickly. Yeah. Because there there is an amazing amount of depth that you could go into on just the different uh, uh, controller configurations. Which it's a little bit of a shame that uh, it's kind of uh, for not now because while they do have uh, support for the big controllers, it just doesn't have as many buttons as uh, the Steam controller did because yeah, you have the rear paddles, you have the triggers, but you also have an additional you know, click on uh, the contr- on the triggers for an additional option. Uh, you have two touchpads which could be set up for different regions to swipe them uh, to as a 
toggle for different uh, layers of controls. It's an impressive piece of tech. It just, it feels like it was made for a very particular type of hand that I don't have. Yeah. And I'll, and what is nice is that they did update the firmware one last time to allow you to uh, use it with generic Bluetooth as well. So you don't even need the dongle? You don't even need the dongle now. You could uh, launch it in Bluetooth mode. And it could actually store, I think it was two different Bluetooth connections uh, to be able to toggle between them pretty quickly. That's handy. I need to get one more Bluetooth controller. I've only got one. I, I think my favorite is still the DualShock. Just because, one, it, uh, it, it's a bit more compact than the uh, Xbox controller. Mm-hmm. Uh, the downside of the DualShock, which can be fixed, uh, is its battery life. Just, it has an internal battery, and the battery on it is ridiculously small. It's a thousand milliamps, but there's third-party batteries that are 2,000 milliamps. Uh, the one I actually have installed in my controller right now. Uh, since uh, the controller's, I guess, what, three, four years old now? I'm trying to think of just how old that controller is. You know, it's to the point where the uh, where the battery is about, yeah, is starting to really wane. Yeah. That's one thing we, you know, you and I briefly chatted yeah. about this the other day. But I, I wish I had a, uh, the rechargeable or like the wireless charging battery packs for my Xbox controller. Mm-hmm. Um, just because ev- I do everything QI otherwise. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, I- I've never really su- struggled from that. Cause I just use rechargeable double A's for my Xbox controller. And yeah, probably the battery life on those at this point doesn't last as long as a 1000 or a 2000 milliamp like battery pack for the controller. But I mean, I can just change them out. Like I got it, tons of rechargeable batteries. So, I mean, that is that is nice. That's one thing that I always liked about the Xbox controller. Um, and they it's strange, too. I don't know why. I mean, well, I do know why. Money. They've probably got a, a partnership with somebody. And they're like, oh, no, you should buy batteries from them. But they're like, yeah, don't use rechargeable batteries with your Xbox controller. But I've been using rechargeable batteries with the Xbox controller ever since the Xbox 360 controllers. And as we were discussing before the show, my Xbox controller that I use mostly like i've been using since um 2013 it's one of the day one edition controllers from the fancy special edition that xbox did for its like first run if you got one and i mean it's just like a stamp that says day one xbox 2013 but i mean i've used that controller since then and i've never replaced any of the buttons or anything it's got a couple of squishy buttons i do need to replace them but you know seven years with the controller and that's, it's held up well. So, I mean, I think the main reason why they would say that, uh, assuming, you know, not bullshit, there's just the power curve on it. If I recall correctly, I think uh, alkalines hold their voltage for a lot longer than a rechargeable before uh, they just plummet. Yeah. Yeah, rechargeables, I... they'll start to undervolt uh, at probably about half charge. And they probably are just trying to cover their bases. Perhaps. Um, I've never uh, not, thought about uh, that. Cause... Uh, uh, yeah, excluding you know, tinfoil hat theories, of course, right? Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, alkaline batteries will hold a much more powerful... Or, or will hold the power of their charge for longer before that dips. Because I've got yeah, power tools that the, use... The voltage is uh, what they're looking at. 
yeah. I've got I've got two different sets of power tools and one of them uses more modern lithium ion batteries and mm-hmm. they will stay charged for longer but you start to notice that they get weaker faster than my um nickel cadmium batteries do which I think most non-rechargeable batteries are still NiCad I think I don't I don't know I'm kind of talking out of my ass on that one but um because I think they they are they're stable for longer. Like they'll hold a, a a charge for longer. I think. I'm gonna get in trouble talking out of my ass. Well, Sony controller lithium ion, and the reason why I could say that, I'm holding the ba- old battery pack in my hand right now. Let's see what what kind of brand? Well, let's look at Duracell batteries. But it also looks like maybe it's also temperature has a bigger impact on it as well just looking at some random charts online you haven't lost me now i'm being quiet while i read things about batteries okie dokie so it looks like it really depends alkaline batteries are still used or alkaline batteries are used nickel cadmium cadmium batteries are still are also used lithium ion is becoming at least according to this becoming uh and, and this is a few years old becoming the industry standard so Fuck if I know. Batteries. I know I know all of my rechargeables are lithium ion that I use. Um and I can like I said, I can tell the difference between those two sets of power tools. I'm pretty positive that one of them is nickel cadmium and the other one I know is lithium ion. But I don't know. If anybody out there knows more about batteries. Yeah, it looks like uh okay, so alkaline has a more stable power curve. Uh lithium holds its uh, overall voltage a bit better. So maybe uh, they're also looking at uh, the power curve on the uh, alkaline to try to estimate how much batteries left. Oh, no, I'm completely spitballing here. Welcome to the we talk out of our ass portion of the podcast. Oh, well, that's Today we're talking about batteries. Uh, that's from the start to the end. That's very true. That's very true. There's not a portion of the podcast. It is the podcast. All right. Well, uh, I, I, there's not a, a good transition, I don't think. So do you want to... Talk about what game I played this week. Oh, sure. Go for it. So I played Stardew Valley this week. Uh, when did we have that for Game Club? Was it two years ago now? Uh, I could bring up the list. Let's do that. I'm also pulling it up. You'll probably beat me there. Uh, Stardew Valley, 2019. 2019. Early One, in the two, year. Three, four. So April 2019. So almost two years. Um, I-, I had played it a little bit on... Uh, the Switch this past year, not enough to really talk about it. Um, and it wouldn't even be back up on my radar again, I don't think, right now. Except, the other night, um, we had two people out for our Vampire the Masquerade game. And, and my rule as a GM is if there's two or more people out for a session, we just won't play. Um, you know, we can catch one person up fairly easily, or I can, like, pretend to be their character. But it's, it's too much to keep up with when there's two or more out. And so, the three of us that were there that night... We're like, well, you know, we could still maybe do something. And we got to talk about what games we had. Stardew Valley is the only one that all three of us shared. And I had never played Stardew Valley multiplayer before. I don't even know if multiplayer was a thing when we played it two Uh, years ago. No, it wasn't, I don't think. I know that they added multiplayer, or they added local co-op in the last update in the last couple months. If there was co-op, it was pretty recent. Okay. So... But yeah, so we all 
loaded it up and and started playing co-op and some of these things could be changes that they've had in the you know in that time they've updated a lot of things in the game have added new content both from like a sort of a storyline progression like there's a couple of new areas that have been added there's been lots of tweaks and additional dialogue and extra cutscenes with characters when you reach friendship levels and um, there's been some stuff added in terms of like the community interaction, like or with with the town. They added like another job board that has like bigger, sort of longer term jobs um, that can get you really big uh, uh, reputation boosts with people. And I mean, for example, like most of the jobs that pop up on the board outside of the general store, uh, Pierre store, are like, hey, I need this one specific item by the end of the day, or maybe within two days, can you get it for me? And you get a little reward and a little reputation boost for completing a a quest for somebody. These are like week to two week long. There might be some even longer, but week to two week long jobs that are like, Hey, collect, you know, a hundred of this thing. Like, uh, it'll say like, you know, in this region of the map, there's too many fish. Something's happened. And this one fish population is eating the rest of them. You know, catch a hundred of this type of fish to even out the population. And so you go do that. Or there was one that Linus had that was like, hey, please uh, help keep the wilderness clean. You know, people are polluting. And so your job is to recycle a bunch of items at the recycling bin outside of the train, uh, the train station. Um, stuff like that. There's some others, too, that involve, like, getting multiple things or inv- include completing objectives for, like, multiple or that require multiple people. It's pretty neat. Um, a pretty neat addition. But anyways, I've already derailed myself. So Yeah, and I did find the date. Uh, It was January of last year. When they added multiplayer? Yeah, when they added the initial uh, uh, multiplayer. They've added local co-op in the last month. Okay. Uh, uh, Month and some change. So multiplayer is awesome. It's really, really cool. Um especially if you've got a good diverse group of people there there's a few basic options like <clears throat> i mean everyone shares the same world it's not like there's any kind of competitive purpose to it the only thing that you can really do in terms of like setting up the options for the game is does everyone share the same pool of money or does everyone have their own money that they have to earn um but we were all we were all like yeah no let's all put it in the same pool of money it's stupid for us to have you know different pools of money we can all share resources together because you know the idea is to be cooperative um and when you've got it, this would probably be just as fine with two people as well especially if it, they're people that have different interests in the specific aspects of the game like what their favorite part is but the three of us each were into, <laughs> yeah the three of us were each into into different things so uh Lexi was, she likes to do fishing and she likes to do animal uh, farming. And then Ian likes to do just regular crops and then occasionally go into the mines. And I'm like, yeah, I totally want to go into the mines and I want to chop down trees. Um, Like that's, you know, my two favorite things. And so we all just like divided up what we were going to do. And then you just focus every day on what it is you want to do. And every once in a while you, you change it up so you can get at least enough basic skills to and get all the stuff like the free fishing rod and all of that jazz. And it's just good fun. Everybody can focus on what they want. And it's like, Hey, you know, I need this thing so I can craft whatever. And it's like, okay, I'll, you know, specifically go to the floors in the mines that are more likely to have more copper or iron or whatever. Um, 
And then the, the aspects of the game that I don't care about at all, because I did the JoJo Mart, because I don't care about collecting the stuff for the community center. Oh, they you were did like, the we, evil path. Absolutely. They were like, well, we want to do the community center. And I'm like, okay, just tell me what you need, and I'll be sure to deposit it in like the community chest where that you can get it and go turn it in, because I don't care about the community center. You know, and then they focused on that and it, it was good. It's just really good to be able to divide it. And it because it's Stardew Valley and it's really chill and laid back, you don't really have to focus all that much most of the time. So it just promotes good general conversation. And we put uh, RhythmBot on and listened to some music and played Stardew multiplayer. And it was great. And I don't know, we'll probably play it again. But afterwards, I was like, you know, that was fun. I'm going to start a new single player farm because I don't, you know really remember where I was and want to experience any of the new stuff from the beginning uh, solo. And so I've played all the way through to winter right now. Technically, I've played Stardew Valley, like, according to Steam, something like 50 hours in the last week. But Stardew Valley has become a, a good background game for me during the day while I'm working. Because, I mean, time, nothing moves when you're in the pause menu or in even in your inventory, or if you don't click forward in a conversation. So I just can just leave it there for sometimes an hour or more. Um, and it's really, really, you know, low a low-resource, uh, intense game. So I never have to worry about it accidentally, like, overpowering um, my PC and the voice app that we use for our calls and video chat and stuff, like, freaking out because it suddenly doesn't have enough system resources because like a weird spike or something. It's a very stable game. As far as I know, it doesn't have any memory leaks, so I don't have to deal with any crash issues when it sits paused for hours at a time. So it's an excellent background game. But also, I've been playing it like I played it during the weekend, and I've been playing it at night a little bit to unwind and listen to podcasts and stuff. Um, yeah, I've been playing it on and off on the Switch for the last couple of weeks. I've not progressed too far, though, uh, so I can't really talk... Uh, what the differences are there. Yeah. There's a couple of other things in multiplayer that are really handy. Um, so in, in single player, the only two ways to regain stamina in the middle of the day are to eat food or once you unlock it to go up to the, the spa and relax in the spa water and that regenerates your uh, stamina. Um, in multiplayer, you can just go take a nap in your bed. Or will I say take a nap? You just go to the point where it asks you, do you want to go to sleep for the night? And you say no, but you don't move your character and your stamina regenerates like you have gone to the spa. So that's that's pretty handy um, because it lets you – you've always got at least an option where you can keep your stamina up and keep playing. Because obviously doing different things drains your stamina at a different rate. Fishing is relatively slow at draining your stamina compared to the other activities. Especially because of the other thing in multiplayer, which is the clock doesn't stop. Um, except for cutscenes, which – all three player, or well, every player experiences at the same time. So kind of the big ones. Like you go to the community center, everyone has to do that at the same time. And then you get the little cutscene of like the little, you know, ghost spirit thing running around and the clock freezes for that. And then the clock behaves just like it does when you go to festivals. So essentially you show up, time freezes. And then when you're done at the festival or party or whatever, it dumps you back at your farm at 10 o'clock at night. So yeah, I hope you watered your plants. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's a lot of fun in multiplayer. Um, and I figured I would talk about it tonight and then uh, put forward like maybe you and I could potentially put that on our Sunday 
game list and start a yeah, farm. We could, yeah, we could look at that. Uh, I'm Especially, not sure how mods handle. Uh, yeah, we didn't do any mods, and I haven't used any mods solo yet. Yeah, we'll, we'll look into that. But it's like, especially for those but, nights but, where it's like, uh, I usually you want to do pretty, something for... I was going to say, I usually put pretty mod light yeah. uh, on Stardew. Uh, uh, one thing that is interesting, I'm, uh, I know you talked about you didn't care about the community center, uh, but they do have a couple options uh, in the latest patch. Uh, that make it a little bit more interesting. They have a reshuffle option where mm-hmm. it shuffles up uh, what you need for the community center beyond the first uh, uh, grouping, it seems. Uh, but also they have a guaranteed uh, completable in one year, which basically just puts an option that uh, I think it's the red cabbage could uh, appear on the wandering uh, merchant yeah. at some point. So you're not stuck having to wait a complete second year to be able to complete it. It is yeah. completable. It's difficult, but it's completable. Yeah, I've almost completed the Jojo Mart upgrades. I've got the bridge to the quarry, uh, the like minecart trams or, or whatever, and I cleared out the block or the, the boulder so there's panning in the river. So what does that leave? The bus? What's the other thing? There's five things. I, I can't remember the other one off the top of my head. But, yeah, you know, I don't have the bus fixed and something else. But I'm evil. <laughs> yeah. And they uh, were... <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed the doing the community center just because, you know, it kind of pushes you to go do different things. Yeah. I mean, if you know, if we do decide to start a farm and you want to do the community center, like, I won't push back too much against that. That's fine. Too much. Um, you know. Will be slightly grumpy about it, and then I'll get over it and, and help. But they uh, were they were aghast. They were like, "Why would you pick Jojamart?" And I'm like, "Man, I don't care about collecting all that stuff. I just want to engage with the parts of the game that I like the most." And so Jojamart, you just pay money for everything, and it's easy. They're like, uh, "But it's evil." I'm like, "That's okay. It's a video game. Well, it's, it's not the like small I'm town bunnies. thing, you know." Yeah. And besides, you're not punching bunnies. You're chasing after them with your. With a hoe after they stole a carrot. <laughs> that is correct. Your farmer McGregor. Yeah. Come back here, Peter I, Cottontail. I don't I don't like the farming aspect very much in the game at all. But you've gotta get uh at least high enough to be able to get some of the stuff that lets you make uh the artisan goods from farming. Well the thing is that the the worst thing about the farming is getting a time where you could upgrade the watering can. Because that's usually the bottleneck. Oh, I abandoned the water can as soon as I got sprinklers. I even used the shitty sprinklers instead of the watering can. Um, although once you get the second level sprinklers that do the eight spaces around them, um, you don't even need the iridium ones. You're, you're good. It, at least mm-hmm. with the level of farming that I do. Because I do just enough to get that farming XP up. Um, and to produce a regular enough flow of food or of, of crops that I can stick them in the, the jam or what is it? The fermenter, the the thing that makes jam and, and pickles. Yeah. If that's your jam, of course. Absolutely. Um, I, I like the animal farming. That's nice. Um, I've been naming all of my chickens or I've named all of my animals like food stuff. So like with my chickens, I've got nugget, uh, <laughs> uh big nugget. Yeah. Um, and then my cows are like beef, and, or not, not beef, steak and roast and. Well, don't ribs. forget, don't forget your uh, knight sirloin. 
Sir, <laughs> sirloin. Nice. I like that. One of my chickens is named Peeper because I thought that was cute. But the rest of them are like nuggets and uh, wings with a Z. Um, oh, well, next time, is... uh, name them after dipping sauces. Oh, that's a good one. Sweet and sour, teriyaki, barbecue. One other thing that I've done this time that I didn't do as much of last time is I've actually engaged with more of the quests that you get um, to find out little things about the people in the town. Because before, I just was like, I like Linus. I'm going to be Linus's friend. And Linus was at like eight hearts, and everyone else was at like one or two because I ignored all of the rest of the townsfolk. Um, But I've I've been engaging with more of the people to learn more about their stories. And that's been good. There's a, a cute little bit of story that's in there i think especially when compared to other games that we've played like my time at porsche and i you know have kind of played both of them back to back my time at porsche has got a way better uh community interaction and relationship system yeah um i was about to say the way my time at porsche does its community where it's essentially groups or families and you basically for the most part get uh bonuses for the entire group instead of individual people uh, it feels more organic, you know? Yeah. Plus, there's a lot more you can do with them. Um, I haven't I haven't put my time at Porsche back up on the list to talk about, I don't think. Have I? No. Um, okay. Yep, I'm trying to get through the entire story of my time at Porsche before I talk about it again. Um, but essentially, I guess since we're talking about it right now, and I can revisit it later, when it comes to building relationships with people, once you get a high enough relationship status that you can start hanging out with them and doing activities... There's a ton of stuff you can do around the town and then around the greater area as you expand. Like you can do with people you're trying to date, they're just dates. But with people that you're friends with, you go on play dates with them. And so like there's the playground equipment next to the research facility in my time at Porsche. Well, when you go on a date with someone, you can actually go play on the playground equipment or go sit under the trees. Or once you get uh, like you can get fireworks and head over to a beach area and light fireworks you can go in the haunted cave like there's a bunch and there's more there's a bunch of stuff you can do to interact with people that does make it feel a lot more organic and a lot more interesting and fun that it makes it feel more like you're building relationships with these people instead of just like talking to them and shoving gifts in their face every day but that's not friendship (laughs) well i suppose that's a type of friendship well well, let's hope that uh the developers don't patent uh you know, their system, so you know, we could see uh, it, uh, people riffing on that instead of, you know, maybe we'll see the Nemesis pop up in, you know, a couple of decades. Yeah. Play play an entire game around that, actually. Uh, chat and and shove gifts in their, in their face. <laughs> Usually food. Food is the easiest universally liked gift to give people in, like, all of these games. Well, that's called Harvest Moon. <laughs> that's 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 me playing stardew valley sushi is the easiest food to make in stardew valley because all you need is any kind of fish and almost every character likes sushi i went and looked at the list and it's like on the universal likes with only like one or two exceptions so it's like i walk up to someone and it's like i'm holding sushi over my head and just like shove it in their face here love me eat my sushi don't ask what it's made out of just eat it like it love me I'm surprised my man George isn't one of the uh, grumpy ones about sushi. Did you just go pull up the list? Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember who doesn't like it, but Linus is still my best friend so far in the game. Well, Evelyn uh, doesn't like it. 
Uh, George's main squeeze. I was going to say, is that George's wife? Yeah. I, st- I still don't know all of the people. I'm engaging in the relationship system more, but I don't know all the people. I, l- I like, I never did this this part before. I like that the mayor and Marnie are a couple, like a secret couple. Uh, oh, no, they're definitely not dating. And, and his underwear it just ended up in her bedroom for reasons. For reasons, yeah, somehow. But you gotta love George. This is probably the worst gib I've ever seen. Thanks a lot. <laughs> That's what he yeah. says whenever you give him something he hates. <laughs> yep. I like to give him stuff he hates sometimes, though, because he gets so grumpy. He is my spirit animal. So, yeah, Stardew Valley. It's a better game than it was before. Uh, and it's probably better still with mods, but I haven't dived into modding it yet. And that's not even saying that it was a bad game before. No, it was a good game before. But it's better now. So. It does look like they've uh, made it so that you get cooking a lot sooner in the latest uh, patch as well. Uh, How how so? What What is that? What do you mean? Um. Like with the recipes that you get, or getting the house upgrade sooner? Hang on, just double check. Uh, so there's a cooking kit that you could get. Uh, oh, I haven't, I haven't seen that. I mean, I assume I've just missed it, but. Uh, well, it's part of one of the bundles in um the uh community center. Ah, uh, okay. Well, that's probably how I haven't seen it, because I shut the community center down. What's the uh, other I'm, thing? Yeah, I'm not Dang. sure if you can. Uh, What's it called? What's the actual cooking set called? Uh, is it a cooking kit or a yeah. camping kit? Cookout kit. Kit. Cookout kit. You can you can craft those. Okay. It's also um, unlocked at level nine foraging, which sounds like yeah. a lot, but it's actually not that bad. No, foraging is one of the things that you're going to level up the fastest, unless you just don't pick up stuff off the ground or chop down trees. Which why would you not pick up stuff off the ground? <laughs> right. I, I would. I. Suppose you could get a cookout kit within the first couple of months, which would almost certainly be before you could afford the house upgrade. Yeah, kitchen. because the house upgrades are fucking expensive. Yeah, the first one's 10,000 gold, which in the grand scheme of things is not a lot, but it takes you a while to get a good, sustainable money uh, money situation going. Like, I'm at the point now where I'm making about $8,000 a day, or 8,000 gold a day, off of my artisan goods. Uh, but I mean, it took me until winter almost to be able to do that. And then when winter rolled around, I got the house upgrade and, um, bought some other stuff. Yeah. Winter is kind of, uh, the downtime, uh, but, uh, they have enough, uh, uh, secondary activities that it's not boring. Thankfully. No. It's a good time to upgrade your tools, actually. Yeah. But- I've got gold, everything on, on the tool front, um, and I'm, I I've just been riding uh, the GameStop train. <laughs> right. Um, I've been wait, waiting to get... Like I, I've barely found any Iridium, so I've been, just been waiting to get the uh, Alchemy to go from gold to Iridium, which is it... Actually, I don't know. I assume it's like a level 9 or a level 10 mining thing. I haven't looked it up. I try to avoid looking up stuff on the wiki as much as I can. I've looked up a few things, but I feel like that... Uh, it kind of cheapens the experience for me as I play. Mm-hmm. Um, but I assume that that would be the very last one that you get. Oh, a couple other things that they've changed that are improvements, I guess. So you can um, you can meet people at the festivals now. Like before, when we played, you could talk to them, uh, but they wouldn't register in your um, relationship 
list that you had met them. Yeah, and sometimes it's a bitch to try to find those last couple ones. Yeah, but you can meet everybody at the festivals now. So if you miss them in town or, or whatever, you, you still get credit for meeting them if you go talk to them in a festival. Um, so, that's so basically good. that first festival is whenever you'll meet everyone. Pretty much. I think the wizard is the only person who doesn't come to the first festival. Yeah, but um, yeah, but you get basically called out by him uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, I, once you go into the community center, even if you wind up demolishing it, like that's part of the main sort of quest or whatever of the game. And after you go to the community center, he sends you a letter that's like, "Hey, come see me." What what happens if you uh, ignore it? Right? I don't know. I mean, I guess you never have to go talk to him or go see the community center. I think you eventually get dragged to the community center uh, kicking and screaming. Uh, our first news topic of the evening, Germany to consider loot boxes in ratings going forward. Yeah, this is a uh, another entry into the loot box saga that kind of took a break for 2020. It, 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 it went to quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> there hasn't been... As much stuff about loot boxes, I don't know how much of it is people just getting used to it, sort of in the mainstream, and also I feel like there has been some pullback on pushing loot boxes. Um, uh, outside after, of mobile, of course, because yeah, mobile well, yeah, is outside, still wasteland. Outside of mobile, but yeah, I, I do feel like there's been some pullback from it. I mean, they're still there. It's not like they disappeared, but after several prominent uh, legal cases popped up especially in in places like um australia and the e you know places in the eu um some of these devs it, it feels like they pulled back a little bit on it china to some extent as well um china regulates loot boxes a bit more still not great but they regulate more they're doing a better job than than the united states is on the loot box front but anyways so what this really comes down to is not making loot boxes illegal per se, but having them be more of a factor on what age rating a game gets. Uh, and they're citing the uh, UK study that says one in ten young gamers are in debt due to spending too much on loot boxes, which, damn, right? Yeah, damn. So it's going to be a factor in the age rating. Um According to the legislation itself, which is entirely in German, but we use machine translation to translate it, Google Translate. Loot boxes have re uh, repeatedly come under criticism from youth groups and consumer protection organizations. Around 40% of young gamers in a study were victims of cost traps, ripoffs, or fraud. So this isn't something the uh, German government wants to take lightly. The new law is due to uh, come into force in the spring, but it will require approval from Germany's second parliamentary, uh, parliamentary chamber. Before it could be fully enshrined in law, however, uh, Hergut, uh, which is, um, uh, sorry, I'm having to go back up because I skipped ahead. Uh, a lawyer in Germany that uh, is familiar with German law, or as you would hope a German uh, a lawyer would, right? Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, says that he doesn't anticipate any uh, substantial changes to the amendment. The new German legislation comes against a backdrop of Increasing uh, animosity towards loot boxes around the world. <laughs> Goes right. Yeah. I like how they, this in the gamesindustry.biz article, I like that they call them interaction risks. Um, 
That that feels like a very uniquely German way to describe gambling. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, this, this this presents a interaction risk. Uh, why is it something suddenly French? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that is not a German accent I just did. I was uh, racist in more than one way. Badly. But... You could say that was an interaction risk. That was an interaction risk. We now present an interaction risk. Well, another So, a new aspect of the law is that parents will be uh, prospectively made aware of interaction risks, such as game purchases by a description. Uh, The head of German industry trade body, Game. It will now uh, take responsibility of the age rating body, the USK, uh, to concretize the uh, regulations that define sp- uh, specific requirements for the age rating purposes. So basically this is becoming one more factor in the overall age rating, as it should be, because the way yeah. uh, the ESRB decided to do it was you know, throw literally every single microtransaction in the same uh, bin as loot boxes. What was the the generic label? It includes digital purchases or something yeah, like that. Yeah, something, something basically meaningless because yeah. that's everything from DLC to loot boxes and in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was includes digital purchases. So, I, is I think Germany. I'm not a hundred percent on this, pulling more stuff out of my ass, but I think Germany is the strongest or one of the strongest economies left in the EU. Um. I was going to say, uh, now, how does this factor into FIFA's release? Are we going to see a FIFA that skips the, a German release, right? That would be interesting. I don't think I don't think they... Well, I guess they could, but I don't see why they would try. But the, the point that I'm trying to make is Germany is, is one of the most powerful countries in the EU. Like, the fact that they're passing this legislation has a strong potential that it will become something that all of the EU countries have to develop their own form of. And I mean, in general, those countries have, have pretty decent consumer protections anyways for this uh, sort of well, thing. Jared, you're kind of wrong. Germany what? isn't one of, it is the most powerful by GDP. Okay. It's I didn't past, know how it came. Well, well it, it was rivaling the UK, but, um, right. The UK is no longer in the EU. Yeah. So I, I, I was, uh, I didn't know how it compared to France primarily. That was the, the it's other... kind of kicking France's ass once again. <laughs> oh, World War Two jokes, everybody. I guess technically World War One as well, but yeah, I mean France was was the next biggest one in my like in my mind. You know, I wasn't looking at the data, but possibly a couple others like Denmark, uh, Sweden. Um, well, let's put it this way: it's n- Belgium, number four globally. Yeah, so, I mean, with Germany essentially being the leader of the EU and, and probably the leader of the free world at this point, which is interesting to think about, given hey, they history. Fi- they but played the long game. They played the long game, yeah. Um, Oh, how the turns have tabled. I see what you did there. Yeah. Um. Anyways, this, this could have a, a pretty strong knock-on effect over the next year or two. I mean, it could shape world worldwide game policy, as the EU is a, a very large market for for games, and, particularly uh, games. I, I, I wasn't really joking about FIFA because no, 
Swift yeah, is e- fucking e- huge. E- EA loves their loot boxes in sports games, and FIFA is the big one. We kind of scoff on it in the United States because, you know, football, right? Yeah. But the United States is an anomaly in that one. Uh, Soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, is fucking massive. And FIFA is a huge cash cow. So if they have to gimp their monetization of FIFA, right? Yeah. They will they will make changes to to make that happen, I I'm pretty sure. So Yay Germany. Go Germany. But this could also end up with just a version where if you're in Germany it's you know, all the monetization's taken out and you're gimped uh, otherwise. Uh, sort of yeah. like how shooters for quite a while had essentially German mode where everything was only robots or blood yeah. green or whatever to get around the wall. Yep. So, I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one, to say the least. Uh, But also, I think it also really depends on just how strong an influence it has on this. Because uh, they're not saying that uh, a game that has a loot box in it is automatically going to be, you know, for adults only. Or, you know, uh, 17 plus or whatever the proper term is for their rating system. Uh, It's going to be a factor in it, essentially. So, yeah. how strong a factor is it going to be? It would uh, using the term for FIFA once again because it's the yeah it's the fun whipping boy right now. We'll get to another whipping boy later. Uh, it's usually considered a very kid friendly game. That yeah, if you're not careful, you know, your kid could ruin you because they empty your life savings into it for virtual cards that will be worthless in a year, right? Yeah. So, yep. There's a a large amount of of we'll wait and see, but this one has me more hopeful than less hopeful, I guess. Well, it's nice to have hope for once. Indeed. So, going from hopeful to hopeless. Hopeless. Yeah, Valve announces end to artifact development. Uh, Um, Right, artifact, that was a thing. Yeah. I mean, the writing was on the wall for a long time about this one. The, the Weren't writing we talking was, uh, about this last year? Like, this yeah. being something that was probably going to happen? The, the writing was on the wall from the very announcement. The game was announced to to widespread groans. Or do you re- not remember that one? No, I remember that. Everyone was all excited, probably because they thought it was going to be Half-Life. Or, and it was like, was it, Artifact, well, a collectible it, it was card at, game. It was at a major Dota tournament. And they oh, and they did this. That's right. The usual bullshit teaser of look here's the logo for the game, and they did this long panning uh, shot of a very obviously a Dota inspired logo, mm-hmm. and uh, people were all getting all excited, thinking like maybe an RPG or something, and then it's card game. Oh, <laughs> just the entire audience. Yep. I remember that. I forgot the specific event that it was announced. I'm, I'm pretty whatever, sure it but... was a, a Dota tournament, if not the World Championship. I can't remember where it was announced. I remember it was a major Dota event. Artifact, law or announcement, reaction. That's YouTube. Well, let's just put it this way: artifact announcement. It has a, a link to the video. <laughs> uh, this doesn't have. Doesn't have where it was though. Where it was? Yeah. <laughs> Artifacts. Oh. Like big music swell. 
Artifact, the Dota card game. Oh, <laughs> oh. Then there's like, kind of, you know, tepid applause. <laughs> yep. I don't. I don't know. What else do you have to say about this? I never played Artifact. Well, um, it looked interesting, but it died so fast. There was no point. Well, well part of the problem was that they were going up against Hearthstone, and they one did something very different, which is not. A death sentence in and of itself, but uh, you remember the initial launch? It was a paid game with microtransactions for virtual cards. It was FIFA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, what they did was kind of interesting. They were trying to essentially uh, recreate the idea of Magic the Gathering, where you could buy card packs and then potentially resell them for money uh, on the Steam, you know, uh, uh, marketplace which is interesting but you're already buying in of, i think it was 20 dollars which isn't exactly a you know expensive game but it's not cheap either and you don't really get a lot to begin with and then you're expected to try, uh, to you know spend a bunch more money to try to get cards mm-hmm. if there were no other card games or decent free card games available it might have had a chance, but you know, it had far too many competitors that you could get into a lot cheaper, or even just play for free and just go for the grind instead of you know paying in you know the hundred some dollars every fucking year. And then they they tried to redo it. I don't know what they were trying to do with the with the 2.0 version. I never saw any conclusive stuff about it. It was all still in closed beta, and from the sounds of it. Uh, the main reason why uh, they killed it was that there was no retention. People would just bounce off of it very quickly. Uh, that combined with having to balance multiple boards, and it was a very confusing game to try to watch. Yeah. That, that's the thing I got to give to Hearthstone and its clones, is that most of the time it's very, very simple to be able to grasp what's going on. Even when you, you get to some of the more complex ones like Magic the Gathering. Uh, if you have a decent grasp on the rules, you could tell what's going on pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, Artifact, they I, hid far too much on stuff that was off screen. I wonder how well Artifact would do if it launched now instead of a couple of years ago. Like, has Hearthstone... I feel like the the CCG market has gone down a lot in general, but I'm also not like in the middle of that genre anymore. So maybe it's still like doing like a gajillion uh, dollars. And uh, I'm just well, not paying I think, attention. I think Hearthstone is stable and has you know, a ton of players, but they outside of just the random expansion that they put out every year, or six months, depending on what cycle they choose to do. Uh, you don't really see a lot of news about it because there's nothing really major to talk about. It's sort of the trap that people think that, oh, this game is dead because I haven't heard anything about it. Well, uh, typically, if there's no news, it's not necessarily bad news. No news is good news in this case. Yeah. So just because a good example of it is all the battle royales. You know, Apex Legends, for example. Yeah, you know, people were talking about that like crazy for several months, and they just fell off the news cycle. And only thing you really hear about is Fortnite these days. Whenever they're doing 
something completely random or have the new marketing tie-in to get fuck more fuck you money. But Apex Legends is still chugging along with a decent player count. It's just they're not grabbing the headlines if, unless you're in that sphere. And Hearthstone's in kind of the same place right now, where if you're not going to like the subreddits or uh, going to the various websites, you're not really hearing a lot about Hearthstone. So yeah. let's just According see. to this, there's about 250,000 people playing Hearthstone right now, but I don't know how accurate this this estimate is well let's put it this way just going to the subreddit which i realize is not a good play, uh, way to figure out players there's over three three uh, three thousand people on here right now that gives you a decent idea that we you know probably still are looking at a pretty decent player base there let's see i'm going over to twitch hearthstone currently 12.6 thousand viewers watching Hearthstone Twitch streamers right now. Um, and can you see how many channels are live right now? Doesn't say. A lot. There's a lot of people streaming Hearthstone right now. Um, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 35 times 6. Uh, 180, 210. It's about 215 people streaming Hearthstone right now. With 12.6 thousand viewers. And it's, you know, 11.30 Eastern Time on a Tuesday. So, take that for what it is. Hearthstone, still pretty popular. Well, the thing is, they also are... Uh, they're redoing some of the base game stuff and allowing people to play a little bit easier uh, to get going. Which has been a major problem with Hearthstone. Yeah. I, I saw something about that... Uh, few months ago i think it was a few months ago uh, pandemic time right yeah um yeah hearthstone's got a huge inertia problem because if you want to get into it fresh oh goodness good luck right yeah good luck it's very hard to do so without spending a ton of cash and even and then, i mean like going up to rng and you're also going to deal with the problem that Hearthstone has a rotating deck system now, so if a if an expansion is two years or older, um, it's out of standard play. So the primary ranking is only on the newer expansions, which if you didn't put your money into the newer expansions, well, you're shit out of luck. And they also yeah. went back into the base game and pulled some of the more powerful legendaries out of that and put them into uh, uh, the wild, the uh, non-standard play, because they were too powerful. I remember seeing uh, that one uh, a while back, which, you know, a power creep, right? Yep. Um, sweet. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know what else to talk about <laughs> artifacts. Are you uh, ready to move on? Uh, well, let's put it this way. I think we put more thought into artifact than anybody has in the last, like, year. Oh, yeah, definitely. For sure. Um, oh, oh, oh. Speaking of putting thought into things, there were some people like 10 years ago who put some thought into how video games will look in 2021. Yeah, and Jim put it in, uh, thought to put it in our Discord for us to talk about. That's right. I had too many tabs open. I'm closing some of my tabs. Yeah, so uh, this is uh, the community corner. And once again, if you wish to. 
send something to the community corner, you can do so vtlpodcast.gmail.com, tweet it to us, vtlpodcast, or do like Jim did and drop by the Discord and leave it over there. So, how will video games look in the future year 2021? <laughs> the future is now. So this is it- not quite 10 years old. This was uh, August 23rd, 2011 at 4.15 p.m. So we can celebrate its birthday then. But yep. this is close enough, and it's kind of doing the rounds. I've seen it pop up on Reddit as well. So, yeah. Actually, I should have had this up. Uh, 2011 in gaming. Let's see. Um, Batman Arkham City was released. Oh, Skyrim uh, for Xbox 360. Yep. Portal 2. So this 2. was before Skyrim had came out when they wrote this article. Yeah. Uh, Portal 2. Uh, Skyrim again. <laughs> uh, yeah. Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D for the 3DS. Uh, I'm just going you know, critically acclaimed games uh, by Metacritic score. Uh, Mass Effect 2. There you go. That should date it for you. Yeah. The the original Skyrim release. Though. I mean, that's also dating. That was... I, that, I mean, their marketing worked. I remember 11, 11, 11. Skyrim. Mm-hmm. That will, that, like, I'll forget, and, you know, I will have forgotten on my deathbed. I'll have forgotten so many important things. And I'll sit up, like, bolt upright. 11, 11, 11. That was the Skyrim release date. And then I'll it, die. <laughs> and then you have nice. one last chili fart. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's what killed me. That's what kills me. The chili. But, yeah, I, I mean, I guess we can go through and we can just talk about some of the things that they predicted. Yeah, I, I just what wanted they got to right also really highlight on when this was because, yeah, we're looking at kind of b- really before the major rise of indies as well because Bastion is on this as well. Yeah, I feel like this was right around the time where indie developers were starting to have a few releases that got, you know, people's attention. Yeah, this was the year the Nintendo 3DS released, okay? Uh, in February in Japan, and then in March in uh, the U.S., Europe, and in Australia. Uh, I'm just looking at this, uh, at the you know, big events. <laughs> not, so in 2011, that- to put it in personal context, we didn't know each other, or know that each other existed. Nope. Kerbal Space Program wasn't uh, at all? Even in like alpha, wasn't that like 2013 when KSP entered? I think it's so. like first alpha release. Uh, I on a super personal level, I wasn't married yet. Um, I hadn't even graduated from with my undergrad degree yet in 2011. Man, how how far life has taken us? Yeah, and in some places around in circles. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh. Oh, this was also the year that. Video games were declared as protected by free speech. Oh, nice. See, I was still playing... I still on my Xbox 360. I was... Peace... Oh. Oh, I just got a message from Craig that he's failing. No. No, Craig. Don't go towards the light. He went towards the light. Yep, he went towards the light. Let's see if that was perhaps, perhaps a momentary failure. We'll see how Craig does after I invited him back. But anyways... Uh, yeah, I was still pretty much playing exclusively on Xbox 360 at the time. That was right before I, I really got into PC gaming proper. Um, I had played a few things like Red Alert, the Red Alert series, and, um, 
couple of the old Mech Warrior <laughs> uh, games. Sorry, uh, Spike Video Game Awards is also on here. <laughs> oh, I remember those like vaguely. They suck very sucked. vaguely. They did suck. Uh, they they had too much dude bro gamer stuff in it. Yeah. Uh, PlayStation Vita was also released in Japan, but I love that. Go further down the list, hardware releases, and it doesn't mention. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't mention it because it didn't get in North America that year. But yeah, <laughs> is Shuei Yoshida still the president of Sony Worldwide Studios? Uh, no idea. Sony's kind of a weird one because it's a bunch of essentially a, a bunch of uh, companies under one umbrella and that's it i wonder if he's dead like i don't mean that in a bad way but like i wonder if he is and i'm gonna google him and it's like died whatever uh no he's still alive so that's good but not to you because now you wish him dead Uh, nope he's no longer doing that anymore according to this uh he heads an initiative at sony that uh focuses on indie developers so good job Shuei Yoshida, I guess. That's that. I mean, that's the interesting. Like, that's a name that I recognize from gaming, and I know the connection to Sony, but I know basically nothing else about him. I didn't even know what he looked like until I just Googled him. Oh, this should put uh, things into context. Uh, actually, I need to see if there's other ones. But uh, this was also the year that Telltale released uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah, I like that game. Yeah, not the most like well it. known though. <laughs> No, but I like it. All right, uh, let's go down in the list here. Um, I guess read off the headers. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the and, first one. Yeah, and on mine, it's it, the headers are kind of uh, screwed up. Instead of spaces, there's pluses for some pluses. reason. Pluses. Yeah, it looks that way on mine too. I'm assuming it's just like weird archival uh, web page stuff. Oh uh, no, it was from before they invented the space. <laughs> yeah. So the first one, the next evolution of motion controls. Uh, um, not really. This is probably the worst one on the uh, the list. Uh, just because th- we have to realize this was in the middle of Nintendo killing it with the Wii. Yeah. Before they killed it with the Wii U, as in their momentum they killed. <laughs> so the idea that motion controls were the next big thing. It's it's understandable that they would think this because the Kinect and uh, the PlayStation Move, I'm not sure if they were out yet. Uh, well, they mentioned the PlayStation Move, uh, but uh, so obviously either out or very soon to be out. I think the PlayStation Move just had just recently came out around that time. Yeah, it's just the thing is that they talk about the next ev- uh, the next evolution of uh, motion controls, but. Nobody really did anything with motion controls that was interesting outside of, like, Ubisoft with the dance games. And that was pretty much it. Everything else was just, you know, a different version of Waggle. Yeah. There's some pretty cool stuff that's been done with VR motion controls. Um, yeah, but, but, I mean, you, you have to do that to make it work in VR. So, mm-hmm. um, it that feels different. But outside of just gimmicky stuff... Motion controls have never really worked beyond, like you just said, the waggle stuff. Well, um, well uh, also, there was quite a few problems with uh, African-Americans not being able to use stuff like the Kinect. Remember that one? No, I don't remember that. Did it not recognize them because of like their skin Yeah, their skin tone. T- their skin tone uh, if I recall correctly, the Kinect had problems 
with particularly very dark skin. So, yeah. Well, that's a thing <laughs> that I, I now know about. <laughs> uh, yeah, you'll follow um, that away uh, right under 11-11-11. Right, absolutely. Now I've got two things. I'll jolt awake in bed. 11-11-11. The Kinect struggled with the- racism. And then I'll die. <laughs> it, it struggled with racism like Papa John. <laughs> oh, no. Like Papa John, the NFL. Like how Burger King struggles with sexism. <laughs> no, Burger King uh, struggles with having a good uh, marketing message. That's true. But let's be real. The the board executives also definitely struggle with sexism. Oh, definitely. Ah, Craig broke again. Uh, like Craig uh, uh, struggles with working. <laughs> Craig struggles with deafness. Yeah, apparently Craig can't hear us. We can hear each other, though, so that's good. Well, maybe, you know, it's selective uh, uh, hearing impairment. Maybe he just gave up. He's like, damn it, I left and you brought me back. I'm not going to listen to you. <laughs> yeah, motion controls. Uh, the first two, this second one also feels way off. Uh, it's Star Trek holodecks in your living room. Um, and they were predicting that in 2011, holographic technology was going to be doable in the next 10 years. And sort of. Yeah, but um, not the way they were thinking. There you were no. thinking, uh, you know, the the hollow deck. When yeah. we could kind of do that now with like the hollow lens, the the AR stuff, or you know, just go full on VR. But that's not what they were talking about here. Well, there's also some ways you can create holograms with light projection and some interesting perspective tricks. But that also is not what they're talking about. Um. You know, the, the easy things that come to mind are like the fans that spin really quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not fans. That's an oversimplification. But, you know, they're, they're like fan blades. A, a, a various, rotor. Yeah, a rotor blade with, with uh, lights on it that, sim, you know, imitate pixels. And it spins fast enough that your eye can't, you know, pick up the distinct motion. It looks like a hologram that's floating and doing stuff. But Yeah, the only not, problem is that it sounds uh, like... A fan going at high speed, so it's the entire time. Yeah. That might uh, that might work in its favor for like a racing or a flight thing, but try and touch it and you'll break your fingers. Well, that would uh, teach the damn kids to stay out of it. <laughs> Go get to the holodeck, kids. That'll teach you kids to watch holographic porn. <laughs> yeah, break your fingers. Yeah, but look at it this way. Uh, if you do it right, uh, it automatically circumcises you. Ooh. Um, one thing that they did get right was head tracking. And this one thing they mentioned, they said um, they mentioned head tracking in the uh, hologram thing that they were going to see um, more head tracking moving forward in games. Um, yeah, and that's, but that's true. What's again, more to VR. Definitely related to VR. But also, I mean, you can buy uh, head tracking sensors to use in, in uh, sim games. So if you don't have VR, you can still track head movement to move the camera around. Um, if you're using like a, a multi-monitor setup, you're using three or more monitors to enclose yourself. I guess you could do it with a couple of curved monitors, but um, for, for racing and flight sim games and stuff like that, um, head tracking infrared, those are pretty neat. I've never, like I don't have one myself, but I've seen them used and they're very cool. Connect actually, the the Connect the, for Xbox One does that really well. Um, for game games like Forza, you turn the tracking on, and uh, that's that's actually look is pretty nice because I use the in car view, so 
you know, just turning my head left or right to have the camera pan around and look in the rear view mirrors and stuff. It's pretty neat. But I've never so, used like a solid setup on my PC. Yeah. Uh, getting a, a, a full on sim setup is expensive. Yes, it is. So this next one, I'm not sure where they're going with this one. Performance capture technology will surpass Hollywood. What? Yeah, performance or motion capture. I mean, that's a thing that's been used for game design and, or not games, games and uh, film production for a long time. And I think it was starting to become more accessible and affordable around this time, thinking about like YouTubers and smaller development studios getting access to use it in their games. And I remember it being a selling point for a while. Like I can remember games like realistic motion capture technology used in, you know, the creation of our characters or whatever. And I think that they thought that that was going to be a much bigger selling point in deal than it was. I mean, it's cool technology. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not like saying it's like garbage, but it's something that just became so common and so easy and and so good that nobody thinks about it anymore. Because mocap is used for anything that's trying to, to be realistic in a 3D space. Um, and it's gotten a lot better. Like, this is something that I, I know a little bit about just from, like, studying, like, uh, or not studying, but learning about, like, cinematography and um, the mechanics of, of making film. Um I mean, mocap has gotten extremely sophisticated and yeah, there's the suits where you use the points of reference that everybody thinks about, but those aren't exclusively used anymore. And there's really good software that, um, as long as you get a good high contrast recording, it can do the same thing without needing the weird bulky suits. So I, I just think that this was a much bigger thing as like a, a cool selling point 10 years ago than it is now. It's just something that became so common that nobody thinks about it anymore. Well, remember L.A. Noir, and they talked about how realistic all the facial expressions were, and it was, and it was Uncanny Valley, partly just due to how over the top they had some of the interactions as well. Like most realistic uh, version of anybody looking like they're taking a shit, <laughs> right? They do mention the Uncanny Valley later, so I guess we'll yeah. talk about that more in a, in a few minutes, but. Yeah, that was just a really big deal then. It's not as much a selling point anymore. About the only place I've seen it is either whenever you've got a big name celebrity, because that was like a big deal for yeah. Cyberpunk, um, yeah. or when it comes to sports games, then that's always a big deal. Like, you know, we used the whatever latest capture technique to make it feel like those you're really in the game with your favorite players. Yeah, as long as you fork over a few hundred dollars for their card. Right. Um... So the next one is the always connected gaming experience. And boy, did they get that one on the head. To, 100%. Yeah, to a rather uh, creepy degree, especially whenever you go to some of the, yeah, uh, uh, go back to racing games where it's, yeah, leaderboards for as far as the eye can see, for example, for everything. Yeah. But I mean, they just, you know, the, what they say specifically, I'm actually going to read this. It says, the kinds of games this connected generation of gamers is going to make, we can't possibly understand right now. These connected experiences will continue to evolve game genres and experiences beyond even the cross-platform options that are exploding today. And I don't, I don't really remember cross-platform being a thing up until a few years ago, like a prevalent thing. 
But I mean, that's true. Like games with a combination of like Twitch integration, because I don't think that anybody could have predicted that 10 years ago. Maybe they did, but you know, with, with Twitch integration and how players can engage or viewers can engage with players, um, the prevalence of, of esports and just Twitch streaming in general, being able to interact with people in standard, you know, quote, standard or traditional multiplayer games is a completely different experience than it was 10 years ago. Um, not to mention the ridiculous amount of like, um, you know, this app is connected to this game and you can play this game on your computer and on your console and you can connect up with your friends and do this thing and that thing and uh, remember, so many things. Uh, remember the reveal or teaser for The Division, how they were talking about cross-platform uh, 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 cooperative play as well, where, you know, like the one guy was on his iPad and was helping... Uh, Recon, while one was uh, playing on a on a console and another one was on the PC, that never happened, by the way. But uh, that's kind of what they were leaning towards as well on this. It seemed, yeah. Where, the it, only it, game that it, I remember it, doing that, where the walled gardens came down and it was all uh, one community. Yeah, the only game I remember doing that was Watch Dogs. Um, the first Watch Dog had a, a part as part of the multiplayer mode somebody who was on a tablet uh was in charge of the drones like the police drones who were trying to track you down um and there was that interaction there it was kind of janky but it did work but yeah i mean that's uh i i think we will continue to see multiplayer games evolve in ways that we can't imagine right now i mean the battle royale Genre is another one where that that's a different type of evolution for multiplayer games. And Fortnite, as much as I hate and also don't understand Fortnite, Fortnite has become this interesting little gathering space. Um, cause there, there have been things where they've done like concerts and have been reveals for things that happen in like this weird giant like Fortnite lobby space. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and completely, uh, blew, uh, the chance I had an important, uh, plot point of a movie and a, yeah, the movie, right? Yeah, that's true. And while I, I do think overall that's bullshit, I mean, I think that this goes to what they're talking about, like the interconnectedness of games and really their larger impact on the world, things that they couldn't, you know, we couldn't imagine 10 years ago. So they got that one right in, like you said, like kind of a creepy or eerie way. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one, Conquering the Uncanny Valley. Um, uh, no? No? Yes uh, and no. Well, well, they they talk about L.A. Noir uh, as kind of the touchstone moment that right there, and no game has really tried to do that again. Partly because it kind of flopped as a, a technique, and it was very expensive in memory. L.A. Noir was a stupidly big game for its time. Now, I know we joke about game sizes being massive these days, but back then, uh, I'm just double checking this. I think games it, it were was, still regularly. It was 29 a... gigs 10 years ago. Yeah, I think games were still having to fit like on a single DVD then, which is what seven, eight gigs. Is that right? Seven gigs. Uh, I don't um, remember my, to... my sizes. Oh, sorry. Um. Uh, four point seven gigs for single layer and eight point five for double layer uh, DVD. Yeah, so 
some of that would have to be used by things that weren't just the game data. So let's say, you know, between seven and eight gigs, like that's, that's what you had to do. DLC wasn't uh, as prevalent as it was now. I mean, there was certainly DLC and digital purpose uh, purchases, but all of that stuff was in its infancy then, at least maybe not in its infancy, but certainly was not as widespread as it is now. Ah, yes, it was a simpler time where the grass was greener on the other side. But anyways, I feel like we have in some ways conquered the uncanny Candy Valley, but not in the way that I think they thought we were going to. Because the idea is like, you know, we would be able to push graphics technology far enough that you wouldn't be able to tell if it was real or fake. And I think that, that we have discovered at this at this point, like maybe that's possible now or somewhere down the line with like enough, you know, technological progression. But you get massive diminishing returns on trying to increase graphical fidelity beyond a certain point. And your time is better spent developing things in other directions. And the baseline for what a good looking game is, is so much higher than I think anyone would have thought it was going to be 10 years ago. And in conquering that, that space, they've looked into other ways that games interact with people, both the actual physical interaction with the medium and the unique way that games can tell stories compared to movies and books and whatnot. And I think that's where they've really pushed across it. They've kind of pulled back from the uh, the cliff's edge, as it was, and focused on creating experiences that can touch people in ways that films and books just can't. And I think that's how they've pushed over the uncanny valley feeling. But then you look at the flip side of it because they talk about more realistic characters and you have to look at the AI side of things. And there's not been a massive push in the last 10 years for stronger NPC characters. You still see the same very, very basic schedule-based robotic NPCs for the most part. You'll see occasionally something a little bit different, but as a whole, for the gaming industry, that's where the Uncanny Valley still resides. And they talk about characters as well, not just the visuals, but the overall character. And that is where they are still firmly in that divot of the Uncanny Valley, where everything is so robotic, so synthetic so binary that there's a massive amount of improvement that needs to be done on the behavioral side of things. Yeah. Who cares just how pretty it is? If it still walks and talks like a robot, it's a fucking robot. Okay, or an android, I guess, if you want to be exact. But it's just not quite there yet. And it's just mostly because... It's hard to really sell that as a um, good marketing point. Talking about how advanced the AI is, it's not as sexy as saying, well, just look at the graphics, right? Yeah. It's a lot harder to market. It's a lot more cumbersome. And in some games, it does even uh, factor in because if you look at a multiplayer-focused game, you you don't really need to worry about it at all. But for the single-player which we'll get to, uh, the fact that you're still dealing with very basic AI is something that does hang up on the Uncanny Valley still. Yeah. I, I don't 
I don't want to say that we've pushed graphics to their 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 like absolute limits. Oh no, far we, from. We haven't. But like I, I'm, you know, I liked <laughs> I like to window shop on all of these like PC components that I can't afford right now. Oh, like any and video the, card right now. Pretty much, but the general consensus is from most of like the 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 tech reviewers and um you know people who talk about the stuff that I follow on YouTube and in podcasts or whatever is that for what most people have which is 1080p um and their monitors and their TVs and whatnot like there's no point in buying the most modern graphics cards because they just don't get pushed hard in that way by games anymore um i mean certainly there are things that can push your graphics card um lighting you know ray tracing being kind of the the big one right now but graphics just don't develop as fast and as intensely as they did before and so i'm hoping that over the next 10 years we do see an increase in in development focus and being put into developing better game ai and um, pushing the specific game mechanic and storytelling boundaries farther that's that's what I hope, anyways, and I totally expect that to come from the indie segment for the most part, not the AAA segment, which we'll get to get to that too because they talk about indie games a little bit, um, sort of in a roundabout way. Uh, but yeah, so the next one, games will make you happy. What? <laughs> now this one is weird. Yeah, this is the abstract. It reading your emotions and. Like, oh, you look upset. Here, let me turn the console on for you. Yeah, this this feels like they were all sitting around and, like, this is where the, 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 the good weed drugs started to or, or, kick in. No, I think this was more, you know, we need one more point on this. We're not hitting the quota on the words. Yeah. Or they were contracted to hit so many uh, topics and uh, we're coming up uh, one short because this is just strange. Yeah, this is something that I remember being talked about a little bit with the development of the second version of the Kinect, because they were saying, like, oh, it can read your uh, body temperature and your heart rate and, um, you know, this thing or that, and make some guesses on what your uh, vital signs are going to be based on the stuff they can read using its infrared sensors and whatnot. And I think maybe they were thinking that that could do a lot more or that people would be a lot more interested in that. And I, I don't know if this is something that games could do or not actually i i think games could do that i don't think the interest is there by any party involved the general end user or in uh consumer doesn't care about about this and i don't think developers are willing to spend time trying to figure it out and i don't know that they need to i mean thinking of of uh millennials and zoomers in particular like mentioning them again there's a much greater awareness in their general conversations with one another about things like mental health and happiness and self-care and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that's something that culture in general seems to be taking much more seriously in, in this, um, you know, current, current time, current year argument, whatever. <laughs> um, and who knows, maybe that push will make something in the next 10 years, you know, in, in game development head in that direction. But, um, yeah, as of right now, like, I think you're right. They were probably just pushing for a word count or, you know, somebody well, had a pie-in-the-sky idea. Well, the and other thought these people is... Are, they put it in. The other thought is uh, they remembered something that was announced a year or so before this. Uh, the Wii Vitality Sensor and how uh, uh, the 
uh, president of Nintendo at the time, was talking about how it'd be a relaxation aid. And this might tie into it a little bit as well. It never released, by the way. They couldn't get it to work with everyone. They were having some issues. And it was going to be used for potentially guided meditation, but also there was some speculation of how it could tie into like horror games where the game would sense your heart rate going up. Uh, mm-hmm. To be fair, it, it's... Well, you've uh, gone to the doctor and uh, gotten your blood oxygen and heart rate taken. It's one yeah. of those, only it connected to a Wiimote. Yeah, no thanks. I don't want to wear... Uh, what is it? A blood oximeter? I, I don't remember. Whatever. It doesn't matter. I don't want to wear those, one of those while I play video games. I think we'll see this come more out of wearable tech. Um, you know, with like smartwatches and sort of your exercise, like, you know, Fitbit and various other exercise trackers mm-hmm. and things. I think we'll see this come out of those a lot more. Um, I mean, you, you already see like with uh, a lot of smartwatches, you know, they'll have little, um, hey, make sure you stand up and do some deep breathing exercises. And if you set it to monitor certain things, it can tell you like, hey, your heart rate is getting high. Um, you know, maybe do some deep breathing to bring your, your anxiety down or whatever. Like things like that do exist that work in the wearable tech space now. I just don't see that might making its way into video games, but who knows? Maybe it can be used as an additional input method. That's the thing, uh, but it requires a lot more of a general population to buy into it because you get into a chicken and egg thing where if you build uh, something for that uh, system that's not really being adopted, well, uh, why spend the development time on that when you use it on more worthwhile things? But then you have. Well, wouldn't it be cool if you do this? Uh, but why would you do that, right? Yeah. So the next one, the one that they probably got the most wrong, single-player gaming will end. Nope. Nope. Single-player gaming is, is coming back with a vengeance. Uh, and no matter how hard the AAA studio tries to push us on freaking live service, always online, microtransaction, BS games, people want good single-player content. Full stop. See the latest uh, Star Wars game, right? Yeah, uh, and, it's um, it's kind of funny that the they game. mention or they use Facebook as an example here, right? I don't. Yeah, I don't know who ever took Facebook gaming seriously from a boomers like, gaming perspective. I guess. I mean, I I don't want to disparage like people who enjoy Facebook games. I don't mean that. And yes, there's certainly do. a lot of money to be had from like Facebook games and mobile gaming and stuff, obviously. But from the more engaged people with the hobby or the more invested people or people like the, the hobby of gaming, like when you break it down into a hierarchy, you've got, you know, sort of the people who are more casually involved. And then you go up to the people who are more serious and then, like, the hardcore people. And then, like, we're at the extreme end. Like, we build and research our own PCs. We do a podcast. We play tons of games. Like, the the top two or three rungs of that are the ones that drive the industry. And all of the others at the bottom, you know, Facebook gaming, mobile gaming, like, they're just casting super wide nets to bring in as much money as possible. And yeah, that's a viable business strategy from like a capitalist perspective. But the people who really drive the industry and who are going to make up most of your dev pool and things, they come from the top two or three sort of layers of that uh, scale. 
And they're just mobile gaming is. I hesitate to say never. You get into danger when you say things like that. But I don't think mobile gaming is going to be a driving force in the industry proper. Like, it's always going to be a moneymaker for these companies. But what's going to keep them in the news and, you know, keep hype up for them and keep them really going as, like, industry leaders is going to be those higher sort of levels of invested people. And mobile gaming is just going to be a way to pad their bottom line. Does that make sense? I'm trying not to sound like an asshole while I'm talking about this, but I don't quite know how to put it all together without being like very blunt about the way that this industry very clearly approaches its consumer base. Well, even their uh, example for this, uh, pointing to Demon Souls as an early example where people saw ghosts of other players. Oh, ignoring the you know better example of invasions. Uh, it's you know kind of a flawed premise to begin with, but Facebook gaming was never particularly deep, if I recall correctly. No, it's and just, most Facebook games are pretty solitary experiences as well. Uh, outside of spamming people's timelines. Like, that's the thing. It's like you create your own thing and people can come look at it and maybe interact with it a little bit for their own sort of bonus. But it's not a multiplayer gaming experience it's not like you're doing something together with somebody and there i'm sure there's a few actual multiplayer games out there you know but by and large you've got stuff that lines up with like these clicker you know farmville-esque like on a timer games like that's most of what facebook gaming and probably mobile gaming is there's exceptions but you know I i think about most games that i see like on the top you know that scrolls past my top mobile recommendations or whatever and it's like idle games and things that are like build your base and do your stuff and when your energy runs out you can pay us money to get that back or you can wait 24 hours to get new energy that's the majority of of games that i see go across my hot up-and-coming titles on the play store (laughs) yeah pretty much the same here so those games can be fun, and they definitely make a lot of money. Like, they're definitely games, but they're not the things that drive the industry. The only thing they would really drive, I think, is the development of how smartphones, a certain subset of smartphones, uh, are uh, evolve over time. Uh, certain screen sizes or uh, proportions. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the necessary for uh, certain uh, amounts of power, maybe better battery life. Depending on the game, yeah. of course. But even the gamer-focused mobile devices have flopped. Yeah, because there's not, there's not a lot of games in the mobile space. Like, true sort of classic video game experiences. There's very few in the mobile space. And most of them are worse versions of games that yeah, exist on ports. console or PC. Yeah. or And they're usually very expensive for what they are. That's the other thing, is that... Uh, uh, Square Enix is uh, probably the worst example of this, where they'll port Final Fantasy and you know, it'll be 20 bucks, which for most times, uh, that's not a bad price, but for a mobile game, that is fucking expensive. Yeah. Um, Actually, let me go double check the pricing, just so I'm not pulling it out of my ass. Okay. No, you're right. Uh, a lot of those release at 15 to $20 on, on mobile, probably more at certain points. But oh, that's a uh, just a companion. Um, so, oh, the last uh, remnant 
14 bucks. Final Fantasy 9, my favorite Final Fantasy, is $21. Yeah. Um, the games that I feel like would do best from a traditional gaming sense on mobile would be things that are like strategy games or turn-based things yeah, where you can utilize, you can leverage the touchscreen. Yeah, but all of those games that I've seen are just... Like we just said, worse, ver- you know, worse ports of games that are better on console or PC, or very or, shallow. That's the other thing. Or very shallow, yeah. So, ten bucks for Chrono Trigger. Why? Right? Yeah, you can just emulate that for free. But anyways, yeah. I mean, this was the time where every developer was trying to shove a multiplayer uh, mode into every game that existed and making them worse. Both as multiplayer modes and also t- stealing precious dev time from the single player component. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and in some cases, the multiplayer modes were dead on arrival. I remember uh, uh, the Tomb Raider reboot. It had a multiplayer mode, a, a competitive, uh, essentially shooter that I never saw anybody playing that. Yeah, uh, actually, it, it, I, I don't I, think I, 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 don't think I ever played that. I need to go look at something. I want to go look at the Steam achievements for this. Because, you know, of course, it has achievements. And this is discounting, of course, people that use uh, uh, you know, some sort of manager to be able to uh, just cheat them in. So, um, so something very basic. Um, okay. Soul Survivor in multiplayer be the only player on your team that isn't dead or downed. 7.3% global. That should be a very easy one to get. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Entrapment. Catch a player in a snare trap in multiplayer. 4.4%. Dead eyes. Shoot 10 enemies off of zip lines. 4.1%. Mind you, this game is ancient by now. Um... Uh, Good Samaritan, revive a teammate in a multiplayer match. 2%. Oh, here you go. I'm all that. Win a ranked match in every multiplayer mode. 1.4%. Wow, right? Yeah. Mind you, this game released uh, in 2013. So, a good example, right? Yeah. Um, So, games will school you. Um... Uh, entertainment games were a thing long before this, right? Yeah, I'm not they sh- were. It, but most edutainment games that I'm aware of before this were, were more sort of elementary school, basic level, like reading assistants and math games and things like that, which definitely there's nothing wrong with those. Like, they existed. But I think in the way... I think what they're talking about is the way that we've seen Minecraft evolve and certain other developers... Um, with, like... Yeah, with yeah, Kerbal, um, the uh, Assassin's Creed. I can't remember which one. It could be more than one at this point. But they have like the historical mode, where you can explore the map and there's lots of information about points that you can go visit and things like that. Like you know, very interesting interactive uh, educational opportunities as opposed to just simple like solving problems to advance the game, which is a valid form of edutainment, but not I think what they meant. Because, like, uh, let's see. I mean, they're talking about 3D and and augmented reality stuff. But in essence, it's like they're saying, you know, combine together to bring 3D objects in the real world to bring perfect collision and occlusion. Um, 
this type of technology will open up all types of entertainment-based as well as educational possibilities for one-on-one instruction and interaction. And that, to me, says, like, hey, go explore, you know, London in whatever Assassin's Creed game that was. Unity or whatever? Uh, It's the one that was broken on launch. Oh, wait. Yeah. go, But, you know, go explore 19th century London and go check out, like, Big Ben and other historical monuments to learn about them in the game and you can explore the inside of them as well as as looking at the outside and things like that i think that's what they're talking about and we do see that now um with several games and and genres and games that are you know like kerbal entertainment first but there's a huge educational portion of that game as you learn about real world um you know uh space and astrophysics and rocketry and and whatnot even if you don't necessarily realize you're learning like the rocket equation or whatever, if you're going to seriously play that game, you'll have to work out like, oh, how do I, you know, what does this thing mean? What is delta V? How do I get from point A to point B? Learning about aerodynamics. How do I rescue and... Jebediah as he orbits the sun? <laughs> right? So, yeah, definitely. They got that one right. In a roundabout way, but they were more focused on this whole holodeck thing still. Yeah. I think we'll always be focused on the holodeck until we get it, and then we'll focus on something else. I feel sorry for whoever has to clean the holodeck. Holodick, am I right? Hey. Alright, so the next one. 2D gaming will become retro. Um, no. Uh, yeah. Not not in the way that they're saying. As essentially, 2D gaming is dead. Mmm... I'm rereading this because that, I didn't that's read a, that. That's the way I took it. That, uh, they're basically saying that 2D uh, gaming would be a passe, essentially. Unless I'm misinterpreting it. I don't know. My interpretation was that they were saying like it'll be retro and cool. People will be like, you know, all about making 2D games. I mean, I, I know that they talk about like some 3D stuff and people will make like 2D games and others will turn them into stereoscopic 3D. But... I, I don't know. Maybe I, I read it differently because I was thinking like, oh, yeah, like this is they're talking about the rise of the indie dev who takes these older art styles and does new and interesting things with them and creates new game mechanics around them. I mean, that was that. I mean, that could be me like reading way into what they were talking about. But yeah, mind you, all these points have a paragraph. And honestly, a lot of times they kind of veer way off course. The thing that led me in that direction was when he said, uh, like, the last line, it's Santiago believes in the future we'll see retro non-stereoscopic games released from independent studios. So non-stereoscopic means 2D, not 3D. I guess I was taking it more as them saying that 2D gaming would be passe, you know, a a thing that uh, nobody is doing anymore because everything is 3D gaming. Kind of hooking this into their obsession with holograms and the hollow deck and movement based controls, where it's like, oh, well, nobody's making those anymore because, yeah, only boomers would want to play on a 2D field. Right. Fair enough. I think that's a valid interpretation of what they're saying. So they don't specifically, I, I don't think they specifically say one thing for sure. That's kind of the thing about when you talk about stuff in the future, you make it vague so that people can can interpret it in a way that that's how fortune tellers work reality that is very true um and then their last one or you just say something that happens every year like there will be a wildfire in uh the pacific uh 
uh, in the Pacific Coast area, right? Yeah. Um, so the last one, virtual reality. Um, well, finally they got one that definitely, right? Yes. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not. I mean, they were right in that it wasn't the way that uh, they were interpreting it in the 80s. Where, you know, you're kind of jacking it in directly into your skull. Right. Okay. Now, I, I still think that they were uh, focused too much on the idea that holograms were going to be a thing in 10 years. But the, they were right in that, uh, using this quote, gamers will be able to create objects holographically. Okay, not holographically, but in the 3D space, in VR, and sculpt things with their hands. They do have that one right on. Yeah. And, and they do focus up, in... And, well, and the rest of that quote, sorry. Opening up fascinating new one-on-one interactions. VR chat. Yeah, VR chat. Um, VR, I know several people who, uh, during the pandemic, have utilized VR to enjoy, you know, closer to in-person experiences that otherwise wouldn't have been available to them. And... Yeah, it's not the same as sitting in in a room with somebody, but damn, it's close. Very close. So, um, then some of this other stuff they talk about, like, uh, advances in AI will open up more interactions with game characters. Yes and no. I mean, we talked about that earlier, how AI hasn't become, like, you know, they're they're not, like, self-aware AI that you can interact with, like, another person. But there have been some advances. Half-Life Alex comes to mind with how you can interact with that game. And there were people that were teaching like classes in the middle of it and people like playing the piano in like some room, like actually playing the piano in VR, some guy teaching math and physics using the VR space and like a chalkboard that was in the game. Um, you know, things like that are definitely interesting, unique interactions that 10 years ago, if you said, yeah, we'll have that for sure. Here it is. Like people would think you were crazy and it was fake. But, you know, that final line, they'll be able to show them an object and have them interact with it. Um, you know, yeah, they can do that. The first part where AI characters will be able to interact or talk directly to the player. Nah, not quite. But that second part, show them an object and have them interact with it. Absolutely. Although you start to get some of the interactions with stuff like smart speakers. And I have seen people trying to tie that technology into video gaming. The problem is processing time. Uh, there was a video that was on r slash games uh, probably a month ago now where it was using voice recognition essentially through smart speaker technology to control what a character said. And it was fascinating just how far they uh, have gotten with it so far. But the thing was, there was always this long pause where they were trying to figure out what was going on because... It was listening to the player talk, then having to process that, formulate a response, and then spit it back out. If they could get that lag time down, then it, yeah, we are closer to that. Now we're still dealing with the problems with AI, of course, right? right. But also, th- this other one, experiences will go behind, uh, at the, uh, behind Hollywood movies where AI characters will not only be able to talk directly to the player, but they will be able to show them an object and have them interact with it. Well, what are they talking about behind movies? Are they saying that it will be like a secondary to movies only? 
Well, the gaming industry has surpassed Hollywood. So, I'm actually not sure where they're going with that one. Yeah, me either. But that's okay. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, the article from ten years ago. Yeah, well, almost ten years. Yeah, close enough. Uh, for government work, at least. Absolutely. Close enough for me. Yeah, a couple hits, a lot of hilarious misses. Yeah. Can't believe they thought the holodeck, though, right? Yeah. That, that, that's a stretch. That's a big stretch. That's a stretch for 50 years. Yeah. Watch, someone will make like a, now that you've said that, someone will make a massive breakthrough discovery. Bring it on. We can make the holodeck, which, you know, yeah, absolutely. I would love if you were wrong about that and we got the holodeck, like, next week. Yes, please. Yeah, unfortunately, it's by Apple and you have to buy a dongle. I would buy an Apple dongle for the holodeck. No, per character. That's fine. And the dongles are $10,000 each. That's fine. Also known as cheap for an Apple product. <laughs> right? Affordable. <laughs> Just, yeah, we'll, we'll take care of your kidney until you, uh, you pay it off. Yep. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, technically you don't need both kidneys, right? No. Technically, no. Well, except you. But that's your body, uh, yeah, breaking down. I mean, my kidneys are okay. I take I take good enough care of myself that for now my kidneys are fine. Give it 10 years, though. Uh, uh, Where will Jared's kidneys be in 2031? In the trash. Uh, no, in the hollow deck. <laughs> I'm surprised he did mention something like, you will be uploading your consciousness. Man, if we ever... This is a, an aside. If we ever get transporter technology, that would solve so many problems. You mean the also, suicide would, booth? Yeah, that's that's fine. I'm okay with... with a, a version of me dying and a new version of me coming out on the other end. I mean, you know, God's not real. Heaven and hell aren't real. So what's it matter? Some version of me lives on. Anyways, uh, pulling back from the existential part of the podcast. <laughs> transport technology, I mean, you, you... Basically, you're cloning something. So, doing surgery, clone it instantly. You know, put that you know record in the pattern buffer... And then just use it to make organs for people. Hell, food is, uh, would be food. no problem anymore. Yep, food wouldn't be a problem ever again. Somebody, uh, you know, somebody's threatening you. Just uh, transport bombs onto their ship and blow it up. Uh, tra- crazy limit uh, transport their liver a few feet in front of them. There's a, there's a, um, a tabletop, like, uh, live action, or not live action, but like live play or like role play podcast that I I listen to, that they use the Star Trek tabletop, and they're a bunch of like hard smoking, drinking shitheads. They're they're great, uh, but that like that was their thing. They were like, huh, we could just use the transporter to solve all of our problems, and it's like some you know bad guys board your ship, well, just transport them directly into space. What's that? Enemy ships coming? Their ships, their shields are down? Well, let's transport a bunch of live photon <laughs> torpedoes into their ship. Or transport their entire crew out into space. Transport all of the air out of the ship. Transport a few hull plates off their ship. Yeah. It's like you just solve, you instantly solve all of your problems with the most powerful omni-tool in existence. That Star Trek never uses. That Star Trek never uses. I mean, I, I get why it would end every episode so quickly, and it would be boring. It's like, uh, 
Captain, we've got, uh, you know, two enemy ships off the starboard bow. I said, okay, well, just transport their warp nacelles, uh, like, into the middle of their bridges. Boom. Problem solved. Anyways, that was that was a fun aside. <laughs> um, that's going to do it for Community Corner for this week, though. Yeah, thanks, Jim, for the rather long Community Corner. Indeed. That was much longer than I expected. But that's fine. Good talk. Good talk. Yeah, uh, I know you don't want to do Discovery Queue, but I did have my Discovery Queue up, and I wanted to talk briefly about the first game that popped up on it. Okay, what you got? Forza Horizon 4. Oh, yeah, I see. that's like plastered across the Steam banner. Yeah, and what the fuck? What about it? First of all, it's 60 bucks. Standard. Okay. But the big kind of fuck you to it, no cross... Uh, uh, saves. So anybody that's played it, you're starting over. Well, that sucks. That's just dumb. Have people asked about it and it's been confirmed? Yeah, it's been no... it's been confirmed. There's no uh, cross play or no cross saves. That's stupid. Is there cross play? Um, actually, not sure. Uh, pretty much the forms are all of light right now about the price, which I do get. The price is absurd for it but i mean it's a what a two-year-old game uh three i think three okay i mean it says that it released march 9th but that's just on to steam a hundred bucks for the ultimate edition is there an ultimate edition oh well, the ultimate edition doesn't even include everything oh so it's not the ultimate edition at best it's the penultimate edition mm-hmm. okay so there is cross play but the save files are tied uh, to individual things. So if you played on Game Pass, you'll be starting completely over if you get the Steam version. So I just won't get the Steam version? Yep. It's been telling me, though, like I've seen you playing Forza Horizon 4 on Steam. Okay. I just assumed that you added it to your like, uh, launch What I'm using Steam is thing. the global Steam controller. It has a uh, ability to use the hooks for the Game Pass version to add them to Steam to be able to use the Steam controller in uh, Forza Horizon. So, okay. so I'm playing the Game Pass version, but you're seeing it in Steam. Sort of like whenever you see me uh, launch something called Global Steam Controller. I haven't noticed that, but I'll I'll now see it, I'm sure, because I'll be able to uh, look out for because it. Because I'm launching it right now. Oh, I don't have my Steam friends list pulled up. Oh, yeah, okay. I see that now. Global Steam Controller. What that's really launching is Notepad. <laughs> nice because it's something that's low resource and that i can shut down so if i'm running something that like breakfast it's not going to play nice it basically i'm not able to find the id properly for it so yeah. i'll launch the global steam controller launch notepad and now the steam controller is working everywhere so i'll fire breakfast nice it's a workaround <laughs> hey it works um, I installed Forza Horizon 4. I haven't launched it yet since we talked uh, two two weeks ago about it, but I've got it installed. I'll get there. Eventually. Eventually. Yeah, uh, maybe I'll get my controller put together by the weekend. <laughs> Ugh, right? Yeah. Yeah, find another broken part in it, or break something in it. On the plus side, everything I ordered worked, so far. Yeah. But anyway... Since, yeah, we got on their side about Forza Horizon. Yeah, it's more just the fact that, yeah, 
uh, the save files, they don't cross over. That's just dumb. Uh, but if you wish to comment on that, you can do so. VGLpodcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, or gaming-related topics. But we need to hit the socials first. That's right. Hit them with the socials. Well, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can find me occasionally tweeting over at GamingOCR. Or if you wish to be my friend on Steam, I'm Caffeine Rage there. And you've been... Gaming Psychologist. You can find me on the YouTubes by searching for that. On Twitter, at JMA4707. Or you can be my friend on Steam by sending your friend request to jarthur 4707 And if you wish to let them know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is chili fart oh god i mean appropriate but oh god chili farts uh that's one that you'll remember right yep uh but remember the horror <laughs> oh uh so once again you could reach us vgl podcast at gmail.com with your letters voicemails game related topics tweet to us on vgl podcast at the twitter or pop on to the Discord and uh, leave one over there like Jen did. you can find the Discord link over at vglpodcast.podbean.com. With the show notes, the RSS feed, if you used to spread the love, or you can find us on your podcatcher of choice. Our lovely, lovely patrons have made this madness possible. You can find out more about that at patreon.com slash vglpodcast. Our intro and outro music is on the ground by Kim McLeod. You can find his work over at Computech.com. And as always, as... His lovely music starts to roll across my voice while you try to fuck with me. Well, bye now. See you next time. And let's put it, put it this way. You try to do it to me, so why not a little bit with you? <laughs> bye